Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We continue our study through the New Testament. And here, you know, we, we've been in Hebrews for a while. We've covered a lot since Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, the writer of Hebrews has explained who who Jesus is, how he was made a little lower than the angels when he was in his earthly ministry. Uh, and then when his uh, he, he is risen, uh, his ascension made higher than the angels, uh, the writer of Hebrews has explained his faithfulness and for you and me, our rest in him. Now, the priesthood of Jesus, it is not the order of Aaron. Rather, it is the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's an inherent danger for Christians not maturing. And these are things that the writer of Hebrews explained quite well in Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 6. The danger for the believer of not maturing and the dangers for the believer to be the perpetual milk drinker. Now, since we're in Hebrews chapter 8, we've moved on from chapter 5. We've moved on from chapter 6. And, you know, it's so powerful to understand that because you and me together, we are moving on to perfection, not not going back to the elementary principles. You see, it's not to deny the elementary principles. It's to say, hey, let's move on. Let's 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 move on to perfection. And, you know, here we are in Hebrews chapter eight in verse one says, now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. I love this so much. I love this. You know, this is the main point. So we, we've covered a lot since since Hebrews chapter one. We've covered a lot, you know, and it blows me away sometimes because, you know, it, it, people have asked me before, you know, can you make your sermons 30 minutes? Can you can you teach the Bible for just, you know, 30 minutes? And, you know, when it's face to face, when it's in person, you know, sometimes I'll just smile it off, you know, but inside it's so painful to hear. It hurts. It's so painful. Understand, nobody, nobody can mandate a hunger for the word of God. No one can manufacture a hunger for the word of God. It's there or it isn't. And, you know, I don't want to just make a blanket statement like, you know, you got it or you don't, or it's there or it isn't. But, you know, sometimes have you ever been in a service where the word is being taught and you can kind of see it on people's faces? You know, you'll see a guy on his phone, you know, he's doing his work. You'll see a kid on his or her phone, you know, and they're playing games or texting their friends or, you know, uh, like uh, doing like the, the face to face chat with their friends on their phones and stuff. But then you see people like intently listening. They have their Bibles open and they're kind of like leaning forward and they're listening to what the, the, the preacher is saying, what the pastor is saying, and they go along, they follow along in their Bible. And it's like, wow, you know, you can't manufacture a hunger for the word of God. No, you cannot mandate. And, you know, it's so beautiful because the Lord knows hearts when the, with the fertile soil, the, the Lord knows these things. And it's so beautiful because, you know, it, when, you know, the Lord knows those who are his. And understand, you know, you know, I, I've heard of saints and beautiful, beautiful saints in foreign countries. And they walk for hours, three hours, and they walk for three hours to fellowship and hear the word of God. You know, a, a single mother with kids and she's walking for three hours. Why? To go to church go to church, fellowship with the saints, and to hear the word of God. 
Now, understand, I don't say this to shame anybody at all. I don't say this to be like, well, you know, look, if you, you drive five minutes to church and, you know, look at this person over here, you know, she walks three hours. No, I, it's it's not said to, to shame, but only to point to the hunger for the word of God. And it varies from person to person. But understand that as we get further and further in the events of the last days, there will be a continued dwindling down of this hunger for the word of God. And it's absolutely reflected in the fruit of the flesh and the works of the flesh. I, I, you know, sometimes I have a hard time saying the fruit of the flesh because I don't, you know, it's a rotten fruit. But it's absolutely reflected in the works of the flesh. And this comes to mind when I see verse one, you know, this is the main point of things we are saying here in verse one. I wonder how many people. How many people would have just commented or responded? Well, you know, let's skip chapter one, two, three. Let's skip chapter four, five, six. Let's skip chapter seven. Let's just get to the meat and potatoes here. This is the main point of what we're saying. And, you know, it's so powerful because here we are in Hebrews chapter eight. And we've covered just in the book of Hebrews, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've covered a lot, you know, in in other books of the Bible. But in Hebrews specifically, there is so much that has been covered already just from Hebrews chapter one. And so the writer of Hebrews continues. He tells us what is what is the main point of the things that are being said here? And here we are in verse one. This is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest of Judah, not Levi, of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Remember our study from last week? If you're listening for the first time, welcome. But go back and listen to our studies from, you know, go, start in Hebrews one and then start all the way in Hebrews one and then come back, you know, get yourself caught up. It's very important to have this understanding and then when you see, you know, if, if you're listening for, for, the, for the first time and you go back to, to, to Hebrews 1 and you Hebrews 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and you see, okay, there's reference to the milk drinkers here. And then you go back to our studies in 1 Corinthians and you see the big problem that happened in Corinth with the milk drinkers. And so here in verse 1 of Hebrews 8, we have such a high priest it's Judah. The, the, the priesthood of the law is Levi. You see, the Levitical priesthood. It's not Judah, but that's the law, the fleshly commandments. And we studied that last week in chapter 7. And it's not the line of Aaron. It's the order of Melchizedek. And we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the, majest, of, of the majesty in the heavens. Remember, a little lower than the angels in his earthly ministry. And then Jesus died. And he rose again. And then higher than the angels and exalted to the right hand of God. And how beautiful it is to know this, not just understand it, but to know it. And his promises unto all who believe his promises remember there is effectuation for promises what is the effectuation of those promises for you and me to obey his word to walk in truth 
And speaking of such a high priest in verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary. Now, this is in reference to the holy place. Now we're seeing uh, like similarities. It's, 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 it's lining up. Remember our study in the book of, if you've been walking with us for a while, but our studies in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then all of a sudden, you remember when Moses was receiving the blueprints? Now you're starting to see and we are starting to see and understand together like, wow, you know, now, you know, we're already we're starting to touch into our studies in Exodus and Leviticus and, you know, the blueprints for the tabernacle in the wilderness as a shadow and a shadow of things to come. And such a high priest that the writer of Hebrews is telling us about a ministry of the sanctuary. And this high priest has come and is and now is. Remember the Holy of Holies, the very blueprints that Moses received in the mountain when he was in the cloud and Joshua was outside the cloud. But this Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the wilderness And then the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Holy of Holies, there was that veil of separation, which was torn. Remember Jesus Christ on the cross, dying on the cross to tell us It is finished. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To tell us it is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He breathed his last. And then all of a sudden that veil tore. From top to bottom the veil was torn. It's very powerful. Very powerful. To understand what the Lord has done. And how beautiful it is. Not just to know what the Lord has done. But for you and me to abide in him. And this minister of the sanctuary in verse 2 and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Remember in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You see, the people thought it was crazy, like three years. It took us, you know, decades to build this. And he says he can build it in, in three days. He wasn't talking about the works of the flesh. He wasn't. He was talking about his body. That temple, that sanctuary, the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle, as is written here in Hebrews 8, chapter, or, or Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2. The true taber- tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. In verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Now, we've studied this at great length in our studies through Leviticus and Numbers. Now, The priests have a very specific function. Remember, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole objective for messengers and people of God is, you know, especially the the, the workers in the field. For New Covenant believers, remember, we make the distinction between worker and field, but the whole objective is for people to be right with God. The the priesthood in the Old Testament for people to be right with God. It's not for self-exaltation. It's not to say, wow, look at me, look how awesome I am. No, 
It's for people to be right with God. Old Testament, New Testament, people to be right with God. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Remember our study in Leviticus? And if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what, what, what is aboda, aboda, mishkan? Go back and listen to our studies through Leviticus and you'll understand more. There is a very, very specific function for the workers. And it's for people to be right with God. And here in verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, <clears throat> it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, this one, also have something to offer. Notice, every high priest offers both gifts and sacrifice. Notice. Now, we know that Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. The order of Melchizedek, not the, the priesthood of Levi, but of Judah. And he has become the sacrificed. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, man would make sacrifice to God. To be right with him, it would require sacrifice unto the Lord. Remember, life for life, life for life. And where is life? In the blood. Blood sacrifice. That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. New Testament, New Covenant, still blood, but it's God's sacrifice for man. It's Jesus. He was and is the sacrifice. Male lamb without blemish. Behold the Lamb of God. Remember, verse 3 here in Hebrews 8, verse 3 says, This one also has something to offer, and the offer is there for everyone, whosoever. If you're not a believer, let this whosoever be you. And you come to Jesus, believe and receive him as Lord. And, you know, if that's you, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, you come back, you listen, and we grow together. There's more here in verse 4. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Remember, he said, Jesus Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. And the writer of, of, of Hebrews here, he's just giving an example of if he were on earth. And in this example of if he were on earth, he says he would not be priest, but he is risen. He is risen. He has ascended. Remember when Mary, you know, all the men, they were scaredy cats and the women, they go, they go out to the tomb and Mary, she sees that the tomb is empty. And when she realizes that it's Jesus, she holds on to him for dear life. Understandably, it's so beautiful. I'm so in love with Mary. And he says, Mary, you got to let me go. He says, I have not yet ascended to my father. Remember, Jesus Christ says, you know, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will send you the Paracletus. Well, he's saying to Mary, Mary, I haven't done that yet. Mary, you got to let go of me. Go back to the guys and tell them. You see? And when he ascended, 
And I love it so much because the angels, you know, he ascended when you read the book of Acts. Remember our study in the book of Acts? And the angels, it's so beautiful because like the the, the disciples, they're like marveling. They're like, you know, kind of sad, like, you know, oh, he's, he's ascending, like he's going away. And the angels are like, why, why, why are you like this? He's doing exactly what he said he would do. And don't forget, he's going to come back exactly like he said he would come back. He ascended and he's higher than the angels at the right hand of almighty God. You see, and the writer here in verse four, if if he were on earth, he would not be priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, according to the law. Now, Jesus, the heavenly priest, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But then when we consider in verse four, just that comparison between the earthly priest and the heavenly priests or the heavenly priest and the earthly priests. It's, they're exactly that, the priests of the earth and the priests on the earth. Earthly, fleshly, carnal. Their gifts are according to the fleshly law. Remember the fleshly commandments like we studied last week in Hebrews 7? The fleshly commandments. Remember chapter 5. Let us move on from mere milk. And just as God's sacrifice for man is Jesus, there are also gifts for man. Because remember, verse 3, chapter 8, verse 3, that there are both sacrifice and gifts. I have something to say to my Calvinist friends, to my Reformed theology friends. It's, they call it theology, I call it theory. Let's put your pastor to the side for a moment. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, let's put him to the side. When your Calvinist or Reformed pastor or elder or teacher or your favorite author, when he explains that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, understand, that's that's exactly what they say, and they, they do say that actively in present day. That's what they say. And, you know, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. There's no more tongues. That was for 2,000 years ago. There's no more gifts of prophecy or interpretation of tongues. That was for 2,000 years ago. It was for the early church. And that's precisely what they're saying. But don't forget... Don't forget, included in the array of gifts of the Spirit is the greatest gift. It's love. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians 13? Was that for 2,000 years ago too? If these men, if these so-called pastors, if these so-called teachers say that the the, the gifts of the Spirit that was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today, does that mean love isn't for today? Because love is the greatest gift. Was that for 2000? Was was love for 2000 years ago? The Bible gives ample warning for the loveless. And when you hear a Calvinist reformed pastor, elder, teacher, author, and they say that the gifts of the spirit were for 2000 years ago, it was another dispensation. It was for another dispensation. They like to use these big words. Oh, that was that was for another dispensation. And if you're talking to a new believer, the new believer is like, What is dispensation? I don't even know what that means. And they like to use these big words. 
to conceal their foolishness. They like to use these big words to conceal their stupidity and in some cases, who they serve. Because they don't serve the Lord. They serve their father, the devil. You know why? Because you have pastors, pastors today, who are teaching, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. You take the mark of the beast, it has no bearing on your eternal salvation, your eternal destination. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the Bible says, don't you dare take the mark. The Bible specifically says, do not take the mark of the beast. And you have pastors serving the devil who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. When you hear this, when you hear this, understand when a when a pastor says, oh, the, the gifts of the spirit, you know, the, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of, of tongues, the gifts of interpretation, that's not for today. That was for another dispensation. That was for the early church. It was for 2000 years ago. Understand several things here. Number one, they have no oil. They have no oil. Oil is for those worthy of the call of God. And in verse We have these prior studies. We have these prior studies about oil. If you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember in, in, in Matthew 25, the 10 virgins? You figure, wow, they're 10 virgins. Praise the Lord, they're 10 virgins. They're awaiting the bridegroom. And you know, you could look at that and be like, okay, praise the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. And yes, it's a beautiful thing, but there's some dangers there. You figure, okay, 10 virgins, they're waiting for the bridegroom. And yes, praise the Lord. But you know what happens? They see, they, they know that the bridegroom is coming. And then they go out. And what happens? Five run out of oil. They say, hey, give me oil for my lamps. Give me oil for my lamps. And the wise virgins, they say, no. This is my oil for my lamp. You see, and the bridegroom comes and those who have oil for their lamps, they're safe. The others, they go back, they try to get oil, they come back and then all of a sudden the door is closed. And the foolish virgins are left on the outside where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the Bible says. Understand that as new covenant believers, oil is light for the lamp. Like a, like a flashlight without batteries. You can have a flashlight, the, the, the light, it works. I mean, it might not be on, but it works. It's not like it has a, not a burned out bulb. And you have the flashlight, it's not busted up or anything. But if you don't have batteries, you're not having light. The bulb works and the actual flashlight, it functions. It, it, but if there's no batteries, you're not going to have light. You're just holding like a, a stick. A torch for my European friends. There's no power. And that's the oil. And with no oil, there's no power. Because power is for those worthy of the call of God. 
with no power. There's no spirit. The Holy Spirit is for those worthy of the call of God with no spirit. How can there be gifts? How can there be gifts? And this, this is the reason why you don't see spiritual gifts with them, with those so-called teachers. And they'll teach and they'll preach and they'll say whatever they want. And they'll say, well, that was for another dispensation. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. But there's a very specific formula. In the word of God, you will not find an expiration date on the power, the moving, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in people, you will see an expiration date. You know why? They've done what the Bible warns not to do. They've quenched the spirit, which translates in the Greek as do not extinguish the spirit and that's exactly what they do they extinguish the spirit and what do you see you don't see the power you don't see the gifts you don't see the uh, the the uh, uh, the the, the, the uh, speaking in tongues the translation of tongues the gift of prophecy that's why they'll explain it till they're blue in the face. Oh, that was for another dispensation and this and that and this and that. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. They're wrong. Those so-called teachers, those so-called pastors, those so-called elders, those so-called authors, they're wrong flat out, point blank. Because the Bible says that the high priest has both sacrifice and gifts. And that's according to the truth of God's holy word. We have Old Testament examples of that. The priests with sacrifice and gifts. You see? And remember, sacrifice and gifts are a package deal with the high priest. A package deal. I meant for these so-called teachers... For these so-called teachers to say that there are no spiritual gifts today, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. For today, we don't have prophecy, the gift of prophecy. For today, we don't have the, the gift of tongues. For today, we don't have the gift of interpretation. That's what they say. But the Bible says in verse 3, that every high priest has gifts and sacrifices. No differentiation. What Jesus are they talking about? Let's be straight up here. Who in the world are they talking about? What Jesus do they, sp do they speak of? Because the Jesus of the Bible is sacrifice and he has gifts by his spirit package deal sacrifice and gifts and for men for these teachers to say oh there are no gifts for today what are they talking about 
Because with the biblical Jesus, high priest in the order of Melchizedek, seated in the heavenly at the right hand of Almighty God, <clears throat> the true sovereign, sacrifice and gifts are a package deal. Who are they talking about? Who are they talking What Jesus are they talking about? And who in the world is it that they refer to as sovereign? Because the God of the Bible, who is the true sovereign, and his son, the potentate, there is both sacrifice and gifts. And these so-called teachers say, oh, the, the, no more gifts, no more gifts. That was for 2,000 years ago. That's why Paul cries out in fear for the saints. When he says, I fear for you. Because these false teachers are going to come in and you're going to put up with it. They come in secretly. They come with another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus. You see? What... What Jesus did these so-called pastors speak of? When you hear a person say, oh, the gifts of the Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. They've quenched the Spirit. They've extinguished the Spirit. And there's a, a little asterisk to that. They've quenched the Spirit. And the asterisk is this, if they even had the Spirit to begin with. Some of them serve their father, the devil. You know why? Because they say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The Bible says, you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. And these men say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Who are you going to believe? The guy or the Bible? Who are you going to believe? Ball's in your court. Not only do I echo Paul's words, but in the Spirit and by the Spirit, I echo the same heart because I fear for the Calvinist. I fear for the Reformed theology person. I fear for the Presbyterian. Because your theology is wrong. What you refer to as theology, it's wrong. Straight up. I mean... Just look at what the Bible says that high priest has sacrifice and gifts. We have Old Testament examples of this. Sacrifice and gifts. Sacrifice. Remember, the whole objective is for people to be right with God. Aaron, sacrifice and gifts. Sacrifice and gifts. Eleazar, sacrifice and gifts. Sacrifice and gifts. Eleazar as a uh, 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 thirdborn because the other two burned up in the fire. Nadab and Abihu. Why? Because they offered up strange fire and the Lord killed them by fire. Remember our studies? And in like manner, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, when he says to Mary, Mary, let me go, let me go, let me go. I haven't yet ascended to my father. And remember, he says, I'm going to ascend to my father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, to help you. Because the high priest has is sacrifice and also has gifts. You see? 
gifts of the Spirit. Now, I know that there is a mockery of the gifts of the Spirit. You see it in charismatic fellowships. I I fully get that. I fully understand it. And I can see it. And sometimes the Calvinists, the Reformed theory, they're so fearful of what they see, the craziness in, you know, sometimes you see it in the charismatic churches. And they're so fearful of that, understandably, but they run to the wrong direction. They say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to go into crazy town. So we're going to be hardliners with the, you know, the gifts. Don't be so hardliner with the gifts that you deny the gifts. And to my charismatic friends whom I love. Don't make a mockery because it's holy. You see, I don't care if you're Calvinist, Reformed, Presbyterian, Charismatic, Pentecostal. I don't care. I mean, I care about you, but the formula's got to be right. Every single one of us aligning with the word of God. To my Calvinist friends. Remember how I said, let's put your pastor, elder, teacher, favorite author, let's put him to the side? Well, I'm going to challenge you point blank. Leave him there. Leave him there. And let the blind follow the blind. And let us journey together to paradise. They don't know what they're talking about. In some cases, they don't know what they're talking about. In other cases, more sinister, they know exactly what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Oh, yeah, because, you know, once saved, always saved. And if you're saved, then, you know, then it's a sure thing. So go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You see? And they concoct these ideas. But everything has to match up. Everything has to line up with the truth of God's holy word. You see? And the writer here in Hebrews 8, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Who in verse 5, earthly, you know, remember, who in, in, in verse 5, they serve the copy. This is regarding the, 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 the earthly priests with their brand of gifts. It's not the heavenly. That's Jesus, heavenly gifts. But the earthly priests, they serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. I don't want any one of us to serve a mere copy or a mere shadow. I want all of us, myself included, every single one of us to know the real deal and abide in him, the son of promise, the son of fulfillment, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. What is happening? And sometimes what happens to Christians is they see these signs of the times. Understand that prophetically speaking, the church is going to be a madhouse. The church is going to be straight up crazy town. Crazy, crazy. You're going to see the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards inside the church. And Christians, they see this. And sometimes they're in fellowships where it's like it's getting crazy. 
And what do they do? They think they're running to safety. They think that they're, you know, running to where it is safe. Oh, I need more church government. I need more church government. So I'm going to go to the Calvinist church. I'm going to go to the Presbyterian church. I'm going to go to the Reformed church. I'm going to go to the Hebrew Roots church. It's like running from the lion to be killed by the bear. But the church is going crazy. The church is crazy town. I know because we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. You see? Oh, I need more church government. I need more church government. So they go to Hebrew roots. I need more church government. So they go to the Calvinist church. Where Oh, there's a council of elders. And I like a council of elders. Okay, council of elders is good. But what happens when they're all freak shows? What happens when they're all compromised by their own sex, their drugs, their rock and roll? What happens? The guy's a sex head. The guy's doing his crack. You say, okay, well, it's not him, it's his wife. Okay, well, biblically speaking, when you look at overseers, it opens up the home. And if his own house isn't clean, how can you expect him to clean the house of God? But I need more church government. I need more church government. Why? Well, the church is going crazy. The church is going crazy. Okay, you're right. It is. But what about at the individual level? What about a heart that is governed by God? What about a mind that is governed by God in accordance to his word? Because in these last days, I have these conversations all the time where saints, they're very troubled at what they see. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, to be troubled at what you see, that's the heart of God. You think he's not troubled by what he sees? He's absolutely troubled. The Bible says he he is long-suffering, and you're long-suffering as well. Praise be to the Lord. That's the heart of God. That's the mind of God. But I need to have more church government. The church is going crazy. That's prophesied to happen. Because we're in the last days. But for the remnant, the remnant is like in a class of itself, so to speak. Where is found Smyrna and Philadelphia? Where it is safe. You see? Understand here in verse five that that the 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 the, the earthly priests they serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. You see, I mean, do you remember our studies in Exodus? Have you been walking with us for a while? When Moses was in the cloud receiving the blueprints, and you know, here in Hebrews says he was divinely instructed. And absolutely, he received the blueprints from the Lord. He goes up into the mountain. Joshua, beautiful, beautiful Joshua's with him. 
And Joshua, Moses says, okay, Josh, stay right here. Moses continues up the cloud, and in the cloud, he receives the commandments. He receives blueprints, instruction about priesthood. He comes out of the cloud. He sees Joshua. The two go down together. And then they get to the camp of Israel and they see defilement. What happened? You see? And what's so beautiful is within the blueprints. You know, Moses didn't just say, you know, okay, well, you know, I guess that was a big mistake, you know, so, okay, I'm done. No, he remained faithful to the Lord. And let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. I mean, that was, those were hard studies in Exodus. There was death too, where Moses just straight up, you know, you're with the Lord, stand with me. You're not with the Lord, okay, stay over there. And people made a choice. Balls in your court, and people made a choice. And there was death. The wages of sin is death. And it's so powerful because Moses remained faithful to the Lord as a vessel of the Lord. And remember, only the clean can clean. The defiled, defile. The clean, clean. And Moses being divinely instructed here in verse 5 when he was about to make the tabernacle. Receiving the blueprints from the Lord in the in the mountain, in the cloud. For he said, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You see? What, what about another mountain? Not Sinai. Zion. Hebrews 12, verse 22, which we're going to get to in very short order. The city of the living God, the city of the free in Galatians 4, 26, the city from which our deliverer comes in Romans eleven twenty six. And from this mountain, what about those who faithfully serve their master as bondservants? And I speak of folks such as Paul, Timothy, Titus, Priscilla, Chloe, Lydia. The Bible says such people are patterns to follow. A very specific formula for this holy mountain, Zion. These words I speak are blasphemy to the dead. To the dead they are blasphemy, but to the living, water. I meant when Jesus would speak, the, the priests, you know, blasphemy, and they would tear their clothes. Blasphemy, blasphemy. When they were the ones who were blasphemous, they were blind. Now you're starting to see, if you've been walking with us for a while, you're starting to see this tie-in from our Old Testament studies. Remember, it's how beautiful it is to have this backdrop of our study through Torah, the Pentateuch, five books of Moses. Now you're starting to see when the writer here of Hebrews says in verse 5 that it's the copy and the shadow. And now we're in the days of fulfillment, of promise. The seed has died and risen. 
And praise be to the Lord that we can see. Praise be to the Lord that we've moved on from milk. Praise be to the Lord that we have this understanding. We are also in the days of fulfillment today. Because we're in the last days. Notice in verse 6. But now he. This is speaking of Jesus who Moses wrote about. The, the Pharisees, remember, they thought they were hardcore. Oh, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus just straight up says, Moses wrote about me. And this Jesus who comes from Zion, as Brother Paul put in Romans eleven twenty six, The deliverer comes. Here in verse 6 in Hebrews 8, he, Jesus, whose sacrifice, who gives, who there's in him, there are gifts of the Spirit. Because remember, every high priest has sacrifice and gifts. Every high priest has sacrifice and gifts. Oh, but my pastor says that, that, that there are no gifts. That was for 2,000 years ago. You know what? Get another pastor. Get another pastor. Because he has been placed in the balance and found wanting. Oh, you say he, but my pastor's a she. Okay, wrong formula. Covering's always male. You see? And speaking of Jesus in verse 6, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In Job chapter 9, verse 32, for he is not a man. This is speaking of God, Job, when he's speaking of the Lord. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job is saying there is no mediator. But you know what's happening here? Job was a little early because his testimony is pre-seed. The seed has come. And this high priest, as Hebrews 8 so beautifully puts here in verse 6, is mediator of a better covenant. A better covenant covenant which was established on better promises the more excellent ministry you see when you see moses coming out of the the cloud and down the mountain and we see moses as a type of christ what about jesus coming down another mountain Zion, you see, on a rescue mission, just like Moses. Where are the Joshuas of today who are not defiled, but who are just as Joshua was aligned with Moses? Where are the Joshuas of today who are aligned with Christ in a more excellent ministry? Where are the Joshuas of today? Now, when I say Joshua, you know, Old Testament, it's male. But remember, in Christ, there is no male, female. I don't care if you're male or female. I mean, I care, but I meant, where are the Joshuas? 
You see? Undefiled. Like everybody else, defiled, 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 defiled. As for Joshua, remember he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where are the Joshua's of today? Where are the Caleb's of today? Where are the Phineas's of today? Both male and female. Where? And just as we see the the, uh, uh, the, uh, 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 the the pattern, you know, in verse 5, according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, what about the pattern of Joshua? What about the pattern of Paul and Priscilla and Chloe and Timothy and Titus and Lydia? What about those patterns where the Bible says that the Lord has these people as patterns for emulation? You see? And notice that this mediator, speaking of Jesus, son of the most high, high priest in the order of Melchizedek at the right hand of God, made a little lower than the angels in his earthly ministry. And then he died. He rose. He ascended in the heaven to the right hand of God. Mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless. That's the law. It was created with loopholes. And the writer is saying, if that first covenant had been faultless, let's see what happens here. Then no place, no place would have been sought for a second You see, the second covenant, yes, second covenant, better covenant, better promises, a new covenant. You see, for my Hebrew roots, friends, I love you. I love you. I love you. If you're in Hebrew roots, you are not in the better covenant. You can observe the Sabbath and have rest for your flesh but you will not have rest for your soul. Oh, but I do it out of reverence for Jesus. And I've had these conversations with the Hebrew roots people. I do it out of reverence for Jesus. Listen, the biblical Jesus is mediator of the second covenant, the better covenant. You see, because mediators of the first covenant, the covenant that has loopholes, the fleshly commandments, those mediators are of the flesh. If you truly have reverence for Jesus, then you must leave the first and enter the better. To my Hebrew roots friends, who I love. I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things because I love you. You hear us say, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. It's not like jump ship and you're going to drown. No, jump ship and welcome aboard. You see, and the writer here in verse seven, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Remember, did Joshua give rest? Remember our study in Hebrews four? Did Joshua give rest? No, the answer is no. You see, and those are people who had the Sabbath and they didn't enter God's rest. No, their flesh, their flesh had rest. I mean, you could have a hard work week and then you take a day of rest, a day of, you know, you relax. It's like, wow, it's like refreshing, but it's for the flesh. 
You see? What about rest for the soul? Notice in verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The writer of Hebrews here is quoting Jeremiah. And people say all the time, you see, the Bible says that God will make covenant. Understand the covenant. It's already there. It's already here. The covenant It's already here. The question is, who is it that is abiding in this better covenant, the second covenant, not the first one? The first one has loopholes. You see? The first one has faults. I mean, if it didn't have faults, just like verse 7 says, then there wouldn't be a need for a second. But it does have faults. It does not give rest. But there's the Sabbath, there's the Sabbath. I know there's the Sabbath. You have a, a hard week, you know, you take, you know, you have your weekends. It's like, okay, your muscles recuperate, you know, you, you're not sore anymore. Your back feels better because you've had, you know, a day of rest for the flesh. And quoting Jeremiah. Where the Lord says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah in verse nine, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. You see, that's the old, that's the first, which is faultless. <clears throat> not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. Now, the, there are these are things that we've studied already in our Old Testament studies, but it just so happens that we're in the book of Judges and we're seeing this. We're going we're gonna to study this more in the book of Judges. A people who are not continuing in the covenant, that first covenant. You see, there, there is no rest. And so as a result, he says, they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Now, this is a heavy, you know, I disregarded them, says the Lord. That's heavy. I don't want to gloss over that like, well, you know, they disregarded. No, that's heavy. And sometimes people see passages like this and we forget the depth and the span of time. Well, you know, I guess this God just disregarded his people. God, God disregarded, you know, you know, uh, Jacob, he loves and Esau, he hates. No, we have to remember the depth, the span of time, the depth of time and the span of time. Because Jacob made his choice. Esau made his choice too. You see, a godless fornicator Esau was. I mean, do you remember our study in the book of Numbers, how the 11-day journey became 40 years as a form of punishment? And it is. But let's look at another aspect. What about 40 years of instruction to teach holiness so that the people, when they feared the Canaanites instead of fearing the Lord, so that the people can change their mind and see that, wow, you know what? I'm not going to fear the Canaanites anymore. I'm going to fear the Lord. I mean, yes, it's a, I mean, what parent disciplines the child and just like, okay, you know, I'm going to spank you because I want to beat you. No, it doesn't work that way. 
There's a spanking, but it's out of love. And yes, there's a spanking, but I'm going to teach you, baby girl. I'm going to teach you, my little son, and I'm going to show you how to walk. And yeah, I know you know how to walk now. You can, you know, walk, but I'm going to show you how to walk in the light. I'm going to show you how to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. I'm going to teach you, baby girl. I'm going to teach you, my little son. What, what parent, you know, it, it's not, you know, parents just don't beat their kids for the sake of beating their kids. Yeah, little love taps. You see? How much more our father in heaven? You see, the 11 day journey became 40 years and it's like, wow, that's terrible. That's terrible. Wow, it's a form of punishment. And oh my goodness. And yes, it's that. But it is also 40 years of instruction so that the people can learn again to fear God, to fear the Lord, have reverence for the Lord. You see, when the Bible says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, that means exactly that. He is suffering long And so what does he do? He sends his messengers out. Tell the people, tell the people, tell the people to repent, tell them to return to me, tell them I love them, tell the people, tell the people, tell the people. You know what blows me away so much? You have in the law how God says in the law that I will speak to the high priest and the high priest speaks to the people. You have the blueprints for communication with the people through the priesthood, through the high priest. In the law. I meant if everything were working perfectly, there wouldn't need to be a Isaiah. There wouldn't need to be a Jeremiah. There wouldn't need to be an Amos, a Zechariah, a Zephaniah. There there wouldn't need to be. Because the people would be right with the Lord. The priesthood would be straight up, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. They would be serving the Lord honorably. Keeping the people clean before the Lord. The high priest would come out and say, thus saith the Lord. And the people would hear and be like, okay, thus saith the Lord. So, okay, that's, that's, we're going to do exactly that. If that were the case, there wouldn't be a need for a Jeremiah. There wouldn't be a need for an Amos, an Ezekiel. That's not the case. I mean, Eli was alive and well, and God was silent. Not speaking through Eli, not speaking to Eli. But he spoke to Samuel. You see? And God says to his messengers, Faithful messengers, tell the people, Isaiah, tell the people, Jeremiah, tell the people, Amos, tell the people, Hosea, tell the people, Paul, tell the people, Lydia, tell the people, Priscilla, tell the people, 
Chloe, tell the people. Tell them to repent, 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 repent. Tell them I love them. Tell them to return to me. Tell them to come to me. Tell the people. Chloe, tell the people. You see? Phoebe, tell the people. Titus, tell the people. Philip, tell the people. It's powerful. It's so beautiful. Understand God is love. I mean, you see passages like verse 9. They did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. And sometimes you have these mockers in the last days and they're being they're they're increasing in number. They say, you see, how could God be loved when they says I disregarded them? And it's you you read that I disregarded them, says the Lord. And it's like without that depth of understanding and that depth of time when you hearken back to our studies in the book of Numbers and you see, wow, 11 days became 40 years, but it came, became 40 years for a reason. And yes, it's 40 years of discipline. But then you just flip the coin and you also see 40 years of instruction so that the people can learn to fear the Lord. You see? And in the law, it is written that God will speak to the people through the priesthood. But when the Lord is silent, when the Lord is silent, what in the world does that say of the priests? When God says, I will speak to the people through the priests, through the priests, and then when God is silent, what does that save the priest? I mean, look at the, 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 the silence between Malachi and Matthew. God was silent. And then we start to read the book of Matthew and you realize, oh my goodness, the priests, they're crazy. The priesthood, they're crazy. They're out of sync. They're on the wrong frequency. They're doing their own thing. Now you see, just like in this, in the, in, with Eli, you understand why the Lord is silent. You see? John the Baptist, prepare the way. And that's what he so faithfully did. Prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, whose sandals I'm not worthy to touch. I'm not even worthy to touch. Behold the Lamb of God. You see? Where are the faithful of today? It's called the remnant. But it's called the remnant for a reason. Because the majority live in crazy town. It's prophetic. One of many signs of the return of our Lord. The return of Jesus Christ. Not uh, uh, two messiahs, one messiah, two comings. 
You see? We see in verse 10 here. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. You see, and I have these conversations with the Hebrew roots people all the time. He said, you see, God puts the law in, in, in minds and hearts. The Bible says here in verse 10 of Hebrews 8 that, you know, thus saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And people say, look, I'm just I'm just doing what the law says. I'm observing the Sabbaths. I'm, you know, observing the feasts and the festivals and all these things. And so I'm Hebrew roots and I'm serving the Lord. Ay, 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 ay. It is also written. It is also written, Hebrews 7, verse 12. We just studied this last week for the priesthood. Being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. When it is written here in verse 10, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Which law? The law of sacrifice? The law of, you know, should we start offering turtle doves and ox and, and lambs and sheep? Should we, should we start offering? No, I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, confrontational. And that's what's so beautiful about having this backdrop of our study in the Old Testament because we see what the law is. And the Bible says, I will put my laws in there. Here in verse 10, I, the, 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 says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Is he referring to the Ten Commandments? Is he referring to the law of Moses? Is he referring to the fleshly commandments as we studied last week in Hebrews 7? Where also in Hebrews 7, we studied in verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Remember, the law is a tutor. The law is a tutor. You see, according to the flesh, is a tutor better? According to the flesh, is a tutor better? I'll give you an example. Say you and me, you and me were, were in law school, Harvard Law. I'm not advocating Harvard in any way, shape, or form, but you know, when I hear of an attorney that's Harvard Law, I know, okay, you know, they, they didn't go to diploma mill. So say you and me were in law school and we're going to Harvard Law. And I'm a little slow of understanding. You're getting straight A's and I'm getting straight D's. And I ask you, hey, can you tutor me? I'll buy you a burger. Can you tutor, tutor me? You say, sure. I'll tutor you. And you begin to tutor me. And we have loads of fun. And I'm learning. I'm learning more. And I'm learning quickly. And then my grades, I have D, like straight Ds, and then I have straight Cs, and then all of a sudden I'm in the Bs, and then all of a sudden I'm in the As, the low As, and then I'm in the middle As, and then I'm in the high As. You see, my grades start to improve, and both you and me were straight A students. But let me ask you a question. When we graduate, 
does that piece of paper, does it say Harvard University or does it have your name on it as my tutor? It says Harvard. You served as tutor. But there was a function to your efforts so that I can have my degree of the better. Because that piece of paper, that degree doesn't have your name on it. And you served as a tutor and you were a good tutor and we had loads of fun. But you were the tutor. You see? In like manner, the law, the law, it's a tutor to bring people to the better, to bring to Jesus, the mediator of the better covenant. Just like the example, you know, if, if, if I was a straight A student, I wouldn't need a tutor. I wouldn't need you as a tutor. I, you know, I'd need you as a friend, but I wouldn't need you as a tutor. We'd be friends and we'd still have loads of fun, but I don't, I don't need you as tutor because I'm a straight A student. You're straight A student. I'm straight A student. And the law is a tutor to bring to the better. You see? With us abiding in Christ, we don't need a tutor. The law isn't for the righteous, as Paul says to Timothy. Remember, we just studied the Timothys. The law isn't for the righteous. Satan is so crafty, so, so, so crafty. Because he'll take a person's piety and love of the Lord. He'll take that piety and use it against them. You see? Because verse 10 says, God will put the law in my mind and write it on my heart. And, you know, that I've had these conversations with the Hebrew roots people. Well, the, the Bible says, the Bible says that God will do exactly that. That he's going to put the law in my mind and write it on my heart. So now as a result in my piety in the Lord, I'm going to do those things of the law. I'm going to do the feasts, the festivals. I'm going to do the Sabbaths. And that's why Paul says to the saints in Galatia, I fear for you. I fear for you. Does righteousness come through the law? Because if that were the case, then Jesus died in vain. But the Bible says, verse 10, That God will put his laws in minds and, and on hearts. And Satan will whisper certain verses to Christians. But Satan and demons and the pseudodelphos and the false teachers and false preachers who serve him. They will never whisper. They will, they will never tell you the, it is also written. They will never do that because, you know, they'll point to verse 10. You see, the Bible says, I will put my law in their minds and write it, write them on their hearts. So let's look at what Moses says and let's do those things that Moses writes of. You see, Jesus just straight up says, Moses wrote about me. And the false teachers and Satan himself will never, ever tell you that it is also written where 
It is also written in Hebrews 7 verse 12 that the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. You see? So, what laws are in the mind? What laws are in the hearts now? The law of faith. The law of Christ. Fulfillment of the law. Fulfillment of promise. And in verse 10. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them in verse 11, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord. Now that seems bad. No teachers, there's no, no need of teachers. And it's not bad at all because there's no need of teachers. I mean, when this time comes in verse 11, when this time comes, that's a future event. It's not now. But it is a future event. I mean, when Jesus Christ is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, like today, that's done in our hearts. Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is Lord. But when the physical crown is placed on his physical head, and we're talking like, you know, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. All of Israel. There's not going to be a need to tell your neighbor, tell your brother for them to know the Lord because the Lord will be here. Verse 11 is prophetic. Points to a future event. For all shall know me. It is written here. From the least of them to the greatest of them. It's a future event. All will know the Lord. Today we need pastors. Today we need teachers. Today we need shepherds. But soon, in the course of time, no need. Because all Israel will be saved. And the root supports the branch. Understand, the root supports the branch as is written in uh, Romans 11. A lot of times, you know, uh, Christians go into crazy town because they have crazy pastors who teach replacement theology. But if replacement theology were true, then there wouldn't be a need for Zechariah. You see? That's if replacement theology were true. But no, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Remember, Satan's servants... They present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they were they will never tell you that it is also written. They will never tell you it is also written, it is also written, it is also written. They won't say that because they have an objective. They don't want anybody to be right with the Lord. You see? They don't want anybody. I mean, we're forward looking into the future. They don't want anybody to enter that holy city, Zion. Servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord, they do. I mean, just like we said earlier, if everybody in the Old Testament Follow the law, and if the law could give rest, and if the law didn't have loopholes, 
there wouldn't be a need for, I mean, like, like the end of Deuteronomy, like, okay, like, no, there's no more need for like the prophets. No more need for, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. No need. Why? Because everybody's right with the Lord. And if that first covenant were faultless, we wouldn't, just like verse 7, no place would have been sought for a second. You see? And that first covenant could not give rest. I mean, we're in Judges. Did the people have rest? You see? That's why we see in Deuteronomy 9 where Moses says, listen, you're entering this land of inheritance, but remember, it's not because you're awesome. How many times do we say that in our study in the Old Testament? It's not because you're awesome, because you're a stiff-necked people. It's because of their wickedness. But what happens when that wickedness shifts and Israel starts to worship the Baals, the Asherahs, the Moleks? We're going to see exactly what happens. The Lord does exactly what he says he's going to do. You see? But a time is coming where there's not going to be a need for messengers to say, hey, know the Lord, know the Lord. There's not going to be a need. Because the Lord himself will be here. And it is written here in verse 11, for all, all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. In verse 12, for I will be but for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. This is a result of repentance when all Israel is right with the Lord. In closing, verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Translate says obsolete through decay. The first, the first covenant, the fleshly commandments, he has made obsolete, which translates as obsolete, obsolete through decay. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Understand the law. The law is still in effect. It is still in effect today. It does not apply to the righteous. Why? Because the righteous abide in Jesus Christ, which is a choice. Abide in Christ. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. But to abide in the law is to exit Jesus Christ. You see? But the law today is still in effect. It's where is found the penalty for sin, which is death. I mean, to the woman caught in an adultery. Don't forget, it takes two to tango. But it just so happens the guy wasn't there. You see, they tried to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The only one qualified to cast any stone is Jesus. And to the woman caught in adultery, what did he say? He says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around, they're all gone. 
They're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. You see? The age of grace. Mercy. But this door of grace, it's not going to be open forever. You see, sometimes all you just all you do is rail against the Calvinists. Well, not the Calvinists per se. Maybe they're teachers, they're pastors, you see. I mean, when a guy says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's a servant of Satan. You see? Understand. Remember when Paul is speaking to Titus or when he writes to Titus? He says their mouths must be stopped. Now, Paul doesn't write to Titus and say, hey, Titus, go over to Crete and, you know, take all these false teachers and beat them up. He does not say that. Remember, we don't fight according to the flesh. We fight according to the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He just says, go into town and just lay it out. Speak. Don't be silent, Titus. Go into town and speak. And those with ears, you know, they're, they're going to come to you. And when they come to you, this is what you do to clean house. Because remember, they got to be clean. Clean before the Lord. You see? And only the clean can clean. Undefiled before the Lord. And yes, you're, you're you know, just like you see, you know, you're, you're still going to have these issues with the flesh. You know, you're going to go like, you know, we come to Jesus at 0%. And we go 5%. 10%. And it's, you know, it's not, not like upward mobility. It's like, you know, 5%, 10%. And then you might bump down, go down to like 8%. And you're like, oh man, you know, I, I, I dropped down 2%, you know, and you feel it. You're like, okay, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I walked according to the flesh. I made a decision according to the flesh. And Lord, teach me the error of my ways because, you know, I learned this lesson and I don't like your double taps. I mean, you know, they hurt. The Lord chastises, the Lord disciplines and chastises those whom he loves. The Bible says if we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate. And some translations says if we are without chastisement, we are bastards. Some translations say that. And so you feel the double tap of the Lord. And it's like, okay, Lord, you know, forgive me. And then boom, you're at 8% and boom, back up to 10%. You're about to go to 12%. And then all of a sudden it's like you're at a fork in the road. And you're like, wow, I learned the lesson when I went from 10% to 8%. I'm at 10%. And Lord, I, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, go left walking according to the flesh. I'm going to go right and walk according to the spirit. And that's how we learn you and me together. That's how we learn to walk according to the spirit. And so boom, 12%. You see, it's not just a straight shot. We're at 0% and then, you know, 100%. No, you're going to have the ups and downs, the ups and downs, because we're learning to walk according to the spirit. You see, you're going to hit 70% and then bump down to, you know, 69%, 67%, and they're going to bump up to 71%, 75%. There's always upward, there's, there's upward mobility, but the upward mobility still has its shares of ups and downs because we're learning to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And that's the journey of the saint. The end, Zion. When we're 100%, Zion, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? I meant very, very forward-looking. Millennial reign, New Jerusalem.
Very, very, very forward-looking. Oh, you're so against the Calvinists, and you always speak about Reformed theology, and you call it Reformed theory. All you do is rail against the Calvinists. Listen, when a person says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You know what that means? There's that holy city, Zion. If you were to follow that, Zion wouldn't be for you because you would take the mark of the beast thinking you're still saved where the Bible says you're going to burn in hell. You see? Oh, all you do is you rail against the Hebrew roots. All you do is rail against the Hebrew roots. That's, that's a faultless covenant. Or th that covenant has faults to it. That's a covenant that has its faults. That's a covenant that has loopholes. There's a better covenant. The second one. The better one. Who has a mediator. Better promises. A more excellent ministry. Which also leads to Zion. The better covenant. You see? The covenant of the flesh. It's of the flesh. Why abide in something that's of the flesh? You see? Oh, but, you know, the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit. So look, we can, you know, you know a thousand people, a, a church with 500 people, a church with a thousand people, and a thousand people speak in tongues. Look, a thousand people have the gifts of the Spirit. No, no, no. There's supposed to be order in the fellowships. Order in the fellowship. Listen to our study, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Order in the fellowship. Because Paul says, listen, if all these, you know, you're going to have a non-believer coming to church and he's going to think you're crazy. Order in the fellowship. Very specific formula. It's easy. It's very easy. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's very, very easy. But there's still very, very specific rules. And understand in verse 13, in closing, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Understand, remember our study in Galatians, the law is still in effect. Remember lowlights, highlights? The law is still in effect. He has made the first obsolete. And this member translates as obsolete through decay. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You see? The penalty of sin is death. Straight up. There's no, there's no candy coating truth. The wages of sin is death. Oh, don't tell people about hell. Don't tell people about hellfire damnation. People tell me all the time. But that's the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is hellfire damnation, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the penalty of sin. And the law is still in effect. And the only one who could cast stones doesn't cast stones. But his time to judge is coming. When he comes with the, a sword out of his mouth. And he will slay. Executing the law. Executing the penalty of the law. But remember. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Understand, he gave his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. You see, you come to Christ right here, right now. Your Hebrew roots come to Christ, the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. Your Calvinist, Reformed, Presbyterian, you come to Christ, the real Christ whose word is above, above his name. Your uh, uh, charismatic Pentecostal, you come to Christ, the real Jesus whose word is above his name. And you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You listen to the message and you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And we journey together to paradise. It is written, Romans 10, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.